Well, good morning. My name is Stephen, the pastor here, and it's good to be together. And as we jump into time here, just digging into God's Word, I want you to think of something that you're really good at. Whether it's something that, that you yourself know you're really good at, or other people keep telling you, you know what, you got a real knack for this. Whether it comes natural, or whether it's something that you have worked hard, uh, time, put a lot of time in, what is something that you're really good at? And then I want you to think about, how do you use that something? What, what do you accomplish with that ability? Because if we think about it, there's a couple different ways we can use the things that we can do, right? There's positive ways, negative ways, even kind of some neutral ways in, in the middle. Let me give you an example of this. If, if you are a really good driver, and what's funny is I, I think some people think I'm really defensive and so I'm a good driver, and then others think I'm really aggressive, so I'm a good driver. Well, you guys figure that out with your spouse. But uh, maybe you're a really good driver and you say, I can use that to keep everyone in my car safe and everyone else on the road, make sure I'm not crashing into anybody, and, and I, I can use that ability to keep people safe. Or you'd say, I, I'm a really good driver, and so I'm going to slalom in between all the roads, all, all the cars on the road so I can get to work, you know, 30 seconds faster than everybody else. Or maybe you're like, hey, I, I can be the getaway driver in, in, in a bank heist. You know, there's all kinds of ways we can use our abilities, right? Maybe you are a great actor. And you say, you know what, I, I can act in plays, I can help evoke emotion and try to make you know, different statements and have conversation uh, that, that, that starts up amongst the audience as they're moved by what they're seeing and what they're witnessing. Or I'm a great actor, so I can be a soccer player and, and, and fake getting hurt all the time. You know, wherever you want to use that ability, you can use your abilities. I got nothing against soccer players, I love you guys. Um, but we can use our abilities in, in, in different ways, right? Last week, we started a new series called You Were Made for This, and uh, we really just kind of sat in this simple truth that you were made for glory. I was made for glory. Each one of us was made for the glory of God, that everything we do is an opportunity to give God glory. Anything that, that, that we come across in our rhythms of life is another opportunity to either glorify God or to not glorify God. Each day is an opportunity to make much of the name of Jesus, and all that we do and all that we left undone, and all that we say, and all that we left unsaid. And all that we think, in our attitudes, in our relationships with others, every aspect of this, what we do at home, what we do at work, what we do in playtime, the use of our time, even in our rest, is an opportunity to make much of the name of Jesus. It is an opportunity to glorify God. And so when we think of the skills that we're good at, when we think about the things, you know, let, let's move beyond just the daily rhythms and just really where do you have some natural abilities, um, we can ask this question, how can I use them to glorify God? Maybe we think about the everyday rhythms of life and, or, or the current season of life you're in, you think, well, how can I use what I can do to glorify God? Maybe you're in a season of struggle, in a season of doubt and, and, and suffering, and let's be honest, that's still an opportunity to glorify God. As you can make evident to others that you are on a firm foundation in Jesus. That despite what the garbage this world may be throwing at you, that you know you are firm on Jesus. And that you have hope in him. And when others' worlds would be crashing down, you can show that, hey, I have life and hope and joy because of my relationship with my Savior. So we see that we are made for glory. And all that we do is an opportunity to show God glory and, and glorify him. But see, we were made for more. We really were. As much as our chief purpose in life is to bring God glory, we can make the argument that we were made for more. Think of it this way. If you've ever used a tool, most tools have multiple purposes. 
If you follow a celebrity chef, Elton Brown at all, one of his rules in the kitchen is you don't have a tool that only has one purpose. Don't go out and buy a tool in the kitchen uh, or for the kitchen that can only do one thing. Because if you're going to give it space in the kitchen, it's got to be able to do multiple different things. I, I did some painting in college, and we had this tool called a 5-in-1. I think the last time I saw it in the store, it's elevated itself to a 12-in-1 or a 5 I mean, it just they keep adding different things. And really, I, I think uh, one of the common things our world does is just put a beer can opener on the side. Now, you know, it has one extra purpose in it. But uh, it was this tool that could all, do all kinds of different things in, in the, the painting realm. And we see that things have more purposes than just their primary purpose. Think of the, 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 the humble Framing hammer. I know there were all kinds of hammers prior to that, but the, the framing hammer was, uh, uh, I believe, invented to uh, frame houses and, and to put nails into, into two-by-fours and the construction to hold it all together. But there's so much more you could do with a framing hammer. You can use it to, if you've got to hold something up over your head while someone else fastens it in place and you just can't reach, you can pull that hammer out and, and get that little extra one-foot boost to hold something higher up. You can use it to knock things into place that are stubborn or just kind of a little bit too tight of a fit. Just give it a few good whacks with that framing hammer and it'll get right into place. Honestly, you can use it as a paperweight. And that may sound funny, but if you've ever been on a job site where you're trying to read blueprints and the wind's blowing by, you pull out your tape measure, put that in one corner, pull out your hammer, put it in the other, and now you can read your blueprints. I, I don't know if you've ever carried a hammer, not like every day, but like if you've been a carpenter and had one on your side, it makes a great back scratcher. That claw, just, I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with it. So while we're not a tool, hopefully, uh, we are a creation. We, we are made by God. And so our primary purpose is to glorify God, but there's all kinds of other things that we can do. There's all kinds of other purposes that we have in our lives. And we're going to be walking through those over the next month. And this morning... We're going to be looking specifically at the truth that we were made to care for the world. That we were made to care for the world. I invite you to come back next week as we go through Mother's Day. We talk about how we were made to care for others. And on one hand, I think it's so fitting to talk about that on Mother's Day where we see how mothers are just so amazing at caring for others. But also, and I make this promise to you ladies, if your, your husband doesn't come with you, if you're married, or if you have a, a guy in your life who doesn't come with you, if he'll come with you on Mother's Day and join you. We're going to speak specifically to him. I think sometimes we get caught up on Mother's Day. We have, okay, let's have a message just to the moms. But honestly, I think the best thing we could do for you moms out there is to speak to your husbands. They say, here's what it looks like to care for others, to care for. And we can look at the context of the family, the context of community, and the context of, of our world. We'll talk about that next week, and then we'll, we'll wrap up the final two weeks, how we're called uh, to be holy. We're made to be holy, and we're made to be sent we go uh, on mission for God. And so that's kind of the direction where we're going. But today we're talking about we are made to care for the world. And so as we think about creation, the question I want you to think of is this. What is your relationship with creation? As you think of all that God has made, think about uh, other people. As you think about plants and animals, the land, the sea, uh, just the universe. I mean, what is your relationship with creation? Maybe you're not sure how to answer. Maybe you have some thoughts that come to mind right away. But ask yourself, what impact do you have on this physical world? If you hadn't walked this earth, what things would have been left unchanged? What differences have you made as far as an impact 
on this world. On one hand, this is kind of hard to see because uh, our current culture where we live, we've separated ourselves pretty far from how, how our food is prepared and where it comes from. And on the other end of that, we've separated ourselves pretty far from where our waste goes and, and how that all is figured out. If you've never been to the dump, I don't know if I'm just weird, but it's, just, it's, it's fascinating. First of all, the amount of seagulls that can be in one location, it, 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 it's, it's epic. I mean, it's Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, but I mean, they're, just, they're going for the garbage and not for you. And, um, but we removed ourselves so far from that. If you've ever, you ever seen Dirty Jobs by Mike Rowe, he talks about, you know, these are the jobs that make civilized life possible. We try to get all the, all the, the dirty parts hidden away, but if we could stop and think through all that, all that goes into uh, being able to have a burger on our plate or whatever uh, kind of things you have in your diet and, and then where that goes, what impact do you have on creation? What impact do you have on the animals in, in your life? There's a, uh, a trail. I use air quotes because it's just basically a passageway between yards um, that some deer in our neighborhood take all the time. And so on one hand, you can say, oh, look, we, we've created a space for deer to be, but you can also say we, we've taken away their space, and this is all they have left. And so those are the kind of questions that we can ponder. What, what is our impact that we've had? On creation. We also need to then pause and say, what kind of impact should we have? As creations ourselves, as children of God, what kind of impact should we have? Do we go on the one side of the spectrum where if you go on hiking off in the woods, you ever had that leave no trace kind of mindset where the, you know, the, the, the mindset is you know, everything, you know, pa- everything you pack in, you want to pack out and as m- much as possible. You don't want to leave any trace that you were ever there. Some people try to apply that to everyday life. Is that feasible? Is that reasonable? Is that what God calls us to? On the other side, you have this mindset that, hey, the creation is something for us to utilize however we please. And uh, kind of the the imagery that comes to mind for me is this kind of picture of strip mining, where, hey, there's something in the ground we want. We're just going to strip it out, take it, use it, and whatever happens to that uh, ecological system, whatever. And we have everywhere in between as we try to see how do we engage with creation. Well, these are some of the questions I want us to be answering here this morning, do we have an authority over creation? How do we interact? How should we interact with God's creation? If you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. This is we're going to be here for a little bit of our time this morning. In just the first three chapters of Genesis, we actually get a, a real neat picture of what does this look like, our interaction with creation. In chapter 1, we're in an overview of creation of the world. And again, I want to remind you, the, the, the count in Genesis chapter 1 has more elements of, of poetry than it does of being a, a, a scientific textbook, uh, but we can glean a little bit of both from it. We get this picture of the, of, of the creation of the world. And then we get into chapter 2, and God kind of zeroes in, and, and we get a, a closer look at, at the creation of man and woman. And then in chapter 3, uh, third chapter in, we get the story of how it all fell apart because of our sin, because of the ways that we went against the will of God. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we read this. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. One of the first things I want us to think on is 
how we reflect God by the nature of who we are. We reflect God by the nature of who we are. If you were to unpack all of Genesis chapter 1, we see God creating various different aspects of creation, and yet only one time do we see, here's something that's made in the image of God, and that's humans. We're the only creation that's made in the image of God, and so there's a significance there. We're made in his likeness. Uh, We've talked about in the past how, how the moon doesn't have its own source of light, but it reflects the light of the sun. It can reflect the image of that. Uh, we are not God, we are a creation, but because we are made in his image, we can reflect the Father. Then it goes, goes back to our purpose of glorifying God. We can uh, reflect God by the way that we, we live and we can make uh, much of the name of Jesus. To man is only part of the creation story, but we hold a special place over creation. When we reject man's special nature, we devalue human life compared with creation. And, and we see this in, in pockets that seem to be growing in, in our culture. This devaluing of human life. Uh, there's a radio host, Dennis Prager, and he's asked hundreds of students over the past 40 years this scenario. If you came across uh, your dog drowning in a lake, and next to him was someone, uh, a complete stranger, drowning as well, and you only have enough time to save one of them, who would you save? The results have always been the same. About a third of them say, I'm saving my dog. About a third of them say, I'm saving the stranger. And a third of them say, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. And so we can see this confusion over where where is their value in life and the other Questions like this have been asked in various studies and uh, sometimes they, they dig a little deeper into, oh, it depends on who it is. You know, take away it being your pet and it just be an animal. Uh, well, what kind of animal? Or, or what's my relationship to the animal? And then what's my relationship to the person? And in some of the studies they found if it's a, a foreign tourist, the stats heavily go the other way to where they would save the pet over the human being. I think that re- reveals something about the heart of our culture that we're devaluing human life. Not trying to uh, be sensational in this, but we stop and think about school shootings and, and the gun violence that, that, that's uh, growing in our communities. It's a multifaceted approach to how to uh, overcome this stuff. I'm not trying to say here's a silver bullet, but I think one of the things we have to acknowledge is that there's been a devaluing of human life in our communities and in our cultures. I, I just heard an article about uh, two kids in Chicago, young children, under 10. They're fighting over a controller for a video game. The brother got mad, left the room, came back, and shot his sister over a video game controller. But we're seeing these stories more and more in increasing fashion because we've had a devaluing of human life. There's some in our world who consider eating animals as murder. And that's an overvaluing of the life of animal over that of man. Should we value God's creation? Should we value the world and, and, and animals? Yes, we should. It's not a saying we don't care. But we see that man has been given a special status in the eyes of creation. That we are only ones made in the image of God. And in that comes a special value. Human life has greater value in creation for we were made in the image of God. So we reflect God by the nature of who we are. We were given rule over creation by order of who God is. 
we unpack Genesis 1 and 2, we see that we are given things like dominion. We are called to subdue. We are called to care for and work. Genesis 1, 28 and 29. And God said to them, referring to man and woman, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We also see this call in Genesis chapter 2, 15. So we turn one chapter to now where God's zeroing in on the creation story of, of, of uh, man and women. And it says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So we see in part, man was made to work and to keep, to care for, to be a steward of what was God's. God had made the garden, put man and woman there, and said, hey, work it and care for it. So we can see a couple different things that this reveals. That we were given rule. We reflect God. We were given rule over his creation. He charges man to work and care for his creation in the garden. And let's just be honest. This is clearly God's authority to give, right? Psalm 24 unpacks it this way. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The earth is the Lord's. I remind you, if you're familiar with the story of Job, uh, someone who just went through crazy things in life, went, had all kinds of tragedy, and he finally comes to a point of questioning God. God, why are you allowing all this? And God's response is basically, brace yourself like a man I'm about to speak. And he talks about, where were you when I laid out the heavens, when I laid out the stars, when, when creation was taking place, when I was creating, where were you? Kind of painting this picture of, this, this is all mine, I'm in charge of it all, I have power over it all. And so this is all God's to give, and he gives us this order to have dominion over it, to rule, to subdue. Dominion is power. To subdue is to bring under one's control. So God's saying, bring creation under your control and have power over it. And at first, honestly, let's just be honest here. If we can, be, can, we be, can we be transparent? This sounds harsh, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but the connotation for the word dominion isn't a positive one for me. But if we take a step back, it really is just referring to this, this, this heart of power because you could, have, you could have a harsh dictator who has dominion we could also have a benevolent king who has dominion. And so I think we need to ask this question of, okay, well, what kind of dominion are we called to have? I think we need a little bit more information here. On one hand, we can say what we already know. We are made to reflect the image of God, but Scripture doesn't really unpack that. Do we reflect God in our desire for a relationship? Do we reflect God in our form, the physical attributes? Do we reflect God in other characteristics? I have some personal thoughts on that, but Scripture doesn't really unpack that too much. And so we need some more information. So we go to Genesis 2. We see this call to steward, to work, and to care for. I don't know if you ever had a chance to house sit before. When I was in college, I just had some connections. I was able to, to kind of do a little bit of house sitting. And, and house sitting, if you don't know, is basically where a family is going out of town for a week or two or a month or whatever for an extended period of time, and they don't want to leave a vacant house. And so they find a poor, starving college student who is kind of sick and tired of the dorms and say, hey, do you want to live in my fully furnished house free of charge for the next week? And then you show up, and they have like a couple hundred dollars they left on the counter for pizza, and that's all you eat all week. Um, so I had a chance to house sit a few times. And, and when you house sit, the expectation is you're going to live there. The expectation is that you will live in that house for that length of time. They don't say, hey, just make sure nothing changes. They say, no, live here. 
Be in our home and care for as if it were your own. It's almost like a short-term stewardship trip. If I can steal from the short-term missions trip mindset. Hey, just for a brief time, this is yours. Steward it, care for it, treat it as you would, as your own. And when we come back, then it's our, we'll, we'll take it back over as our own home. This is this picture of care for. Be a good steward of creation, of the land, of the sea, of animals, of plants. We can look to see how God uses his dominion. I think we see this most clearly in Jesus. If we're looking for more information on what does it mean to have dominion over all these things, look at what Jesus did. Because we know Matthew 28 says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he has dominion over all things. And what does he do? He shows up not to be served, but to serve. He shows up to lay down his life so that we can be in relationship with the Father. He doesn't show up as a harsh dictator, but as a benevolent king. And so we can follow in his footsteps. We can reflect Jesus and begin to understand this dominion that we've been given is one of serving and caring for, a loving heart towards God's creation. So we're given this rule, given this authority, but what's interesting is let's just stop and, again, let's be real for a moment here. Do we have dominion over creation? Do we have power over creation today? We could say on one hand we can capture the power of the sun through solar panels and uh, power of wind through wind turbines. And um, You ever seen these things where they can capture the power of the waves? They have these big floats that kind of get moved up and down in, in, in the, the current, and then it moves something on the other end that generates power. I mean, it's fascinating stuff, all the different technologies that are out there, ways we can harness power, ways that we can subdue and control the weather. How many have AC? How many have internal air or uh, internal heat? How many can live in cold climates because we have ways to heat our homes? How many can do work in the dark because we have electricity? And light bulbs. We found ways to subdue and have dominion. But in the same breath that we have all that, how many have heard countless stories of here's a whole town that was built and we subdued and had dominion and then one storm came and wiped it all out? Whether a tornado or a flood or an earthquake or some other natural disaster. If you've been on, on the West Coast, they get the mudslides a lot of times. These moments where we have to stop and take a step back and say, whoa, we're not the ones in charge here. We don't have full control over this. Do we have dominion over animals? Well, we can look at all the different domestic animals that we have, and we can see how all the livestock that we have and how we have control over their lives, and we, we can, again, power and subdue, take control over that. But then again, on the other side of that, we see stories where animals overpower, where animals lead to the death of people or the injury of people. There's just a story in the news uh, of a man... Uh, before you get all the details, it just sounds like some guy just walked into a lion cage and gets mauled by a lion. But you get the whole story, and basically that the guy owned the, this 120-acre this, uh, predator refuge. And the lion he was in the, a cage with, um, it wasn't like a small, it was like a large open area. This was a, a, a lion he had raised by bottle from birth. Basically, he'd, he'd fed this lion uh, with a bottle, and just uh, they knew each other. There's this relationship, and, and yet all of a sudden one day, he gets mauled by the lion. They have to put the lion down just to save his life. And there's countless stories like that where creation can win. We're talking about life and who has control and who has dominion. So we have to ask the question, do we really have this dominion that we see in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2? See, I think what happened is we brought ruin by our choice to sin. 
So the, the picture God lays out in Genesis is that, yes, we would reflect him and, and be made in his image and that we would have dominion over this earth, but then we ruined it all with sin. And all of a sudden, death and decay. Another dominion comes in from Satan. We see in Genesis chapter 3, 17 through 19. Cursed is the ground because you. This is some of the, the consequences. Because Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, because sin entered the picture, here's some of the consequences. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. I don't know about you, but one of the most annoying pains in the world is a thorn stuck in your hand. You ever had that? Uh, I, yes, there's much worse things and much more intense things. But we're, we had an awesome crew here. If you're part of that crew, thank you so much. We were here yesterday getting ready for all the plantings that are going in today. And we're clearing out all kinds of stuff. And uh, we finished up. We go home, get cleaned up. And, we, and my wife and I, our kids, we went to a friend's house for dinner. And I'm sitting there at the dinner table. And all of a sudden, I see this thorn. It's like the second you see it, you can't not think about it. And like the, the pain like intensifies tenfold just because you know it's there now. And it was like, this was such a pain. And, you know, and... Uh, that's what God said. Because of sin, now things are difficult. Now there's thorns and thistles. Now there's pain. Now there's sweat of, the, of your brow and being able to get food. So we see that through our sin, things through our sin, things change. After the fall, pain and sweat enter, death, decay. We no longer hold dominion over creation. We see another who holds dominion. We see, and we can jump to the New Testament too and see Satan's interactions with Jesus. And we see there is an element of dominion that Satan has in this world. There's an element of control. There's an element of power that he has in this world. But fortunately, we find this last point here. We find redemption by faith in Jesus. We find redemption by faith in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, it's referring to Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Ever since the actions of Genesis chapter 3, we've been spiritually dead in our sins. We've been separated from God. The dominion of Satan in the world leads to death leads to death, but God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 begins, but God. My favorite two words together in all of Scripture is but God because it means here is a case where there is something that there is despair, there is hopelessness, there is, there is no way out of but God. God stepped in and said, there is something that I'm going to do here. There's something that I'm going to change because of my love, because of my mercy, because of my grace, because of my sovereignty, because of my dominion, because I have ultimate power over all things. I'm going to change the story. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so, yes, we were made to have dominion. We messed it up and ruined it in sin. But God makes a way for us to be redeemed in Jesus. And so what is that response to God? Well, we see Old Testament and New. The response that God is looking for is one of faith. Abraham, one of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith, we, we read that he believed God. 
and it was credited to him as righteousness. If you ever wondered, what about everyone who came before Jesus? You know, how is their sin dealt with in the same way as ours at the foot of the cross when we believe God and how he's revealed himself to us? God's dominion is greater, has mercy on his creation, made a way for us to be alive in Christ. Basically, the gospel is this. We're separated from God because of our sin. There's death and decay that enters into the picture. God, knowing this, made a way for us to be forgiven of our sin, to take on the righteousness of Jesus. He sent his son to live as one of us amongst us, but yet being fully God. He lived, gave up his life at the cross, died, was buried. On the third day, he overcame death. He revealed himself to hundreds of different people who were first-hand eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus. And then he ascended into heaven. And from those eyewitnesses, they shared the story of Jesus. They shared what they saw and what he did and how it changed their life. And from there, God continues to change lives in this beautiful mission called the church. Ephesians 2, 8-10 continues on, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's God's grace. He's given us this gift, and we respond by faith, believing God and trusting in him. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we get to this, this culminating point that it's by grace through faith. God has rescued us. And then we get this reminder, you were made for this. You were made as my workmanship, created for good works in Christ Jesus, that you should walk in them. It's this restoration back to this dominion over creation, this stewardship, this caring for creation. We're redeemed by the blood of Jesus through faith and restored in his dominion. See, Jesus had power over all creation. I know there's some stories of things that Jesus did that are hard to understand. We we see Jesus calming storms. We see Jesus curses a fig tree because it didn't bear fruit. And the next time they walk past it, the tree has withered. We see stories of Jesus walking on water. And if he were simply a man, yes, those would be sensational, crazy stories that I wouldn't believe. But see, he has claimed to be and has proven himself to be God. And when we understand that he has all authority, he has dominion over everything, now we begin to understand he has dominion over creation because he is the creator. So when he calms the storm, when he walks out on water to his disciples and calls Peter out of the boat and says, hey, you can come to me. That when Peter's faith is in Jesus, he enters into that same dominion, right? When his faith is in Jesus, when his eyes, his focus is on Jesus, he is able to walk on water because he now has that dominion that we were supposed to have in the first place over creation and share that we share with, with, with the Father because Jesus has made a way for that. But then he loses sight and he gets afraid and he starts to think about uh, his own uh, struggles, his own sin. He loses sight of Jesus and he begins to sing. Those that don't know the story, don't worry. Jesus gets them out and they get in the boat and go on their way if you haven't heard that story before. But we see that Jesus has dominion. He's redeemed us by his blood. And so when we trust in him and and surrender our lives to him, it brings us back to that place of dominion over creation. How should we use that? With the same way Jesus would, that heart of stewardship, the heart of care and sacrifice. And so as we close out, Remember that Jesus had power over all creation. 
We see that any dominion we would have is found in and through him. I hope and pray that you can see afresh the value of human life, for in it is the image of God. Let me just pause for a minute. Who are the people in your daily life? Who are the people in your, your neighborhood and your, your workplace that when you see them coming, you kind of want to be invisible? You know, you, you dress like the color of the walls at your office place. You can just kind of like stand up against the wall and blend in, you know, and kind of pull one of those things like, oh, I hope they don't see me. I really don't want to talk to them because I don't want to be rude and I'm going to be rude because I don't like them. I just, you know... We, we, for whatever it is, whether it's something small or something major, I think we, we struggle with seeing the value that God has placed in other people. Whether it's avoiding them, or the way we speak about other people, the way we think about other people, the way we use other people for our own gain. Just think through the faces you see on a daily basis. Are you treating other people, God's creation, as if they're the image bearers of God. With the same care and compassion that Jesus did. With his heart of coming to serve, not to be served. I hope that we would all see afresh the value of human life. I hope that we would all see afresh the value of creation. This is God's house, and he says, hey, can you house it for me? Imagine how upset he's going to be if we mess it all up. Spoiler alert, we do, but he sends Jesus to fix it all, which is pretty awesome. But I hope we can see afresh the value of creation. It belongs to God. We're but broken stewards to care for it. And so when we think about environmental issues, when we think about what Betsy's going to come up in a minute and share what we're going to be doing outside, this is us doing our best to be a steward, using what God has made. It's not this leave no trace. We use it. We have dominion over it in Jesus, but we care for it. We're a steward of it. We want to use it in a way that brings glory to God. And I also pray we'd see afresh the dominion of Jesus for redemption and that life is found in him. I think if we can see these things afresh again, man, that just charges me up to want to just care for the world. When I say care for the world, that's everything from the dirt we walk on, the air we breathe, the water that brings life, the plants and animals and humans that share this with us. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing, amazing God. You are such a creative creator. <coughs> I, I didn't even get to some of the awesome stories of just different animals in this world, of uh, how you've just designed such amazing things in this world and such creativity and fun. And Father, we thank you for your creation. Father, we thank you that we are your creation and that you've made us to reflect you. You've made us in your image. Father, as we come across different people this week, this season, the rest of our lives, help us to see people for who they are. Even the ones that are the most difficult, even the ones that, that are troublesome in our daily life, even the ones that, that are, are, are stinky, even the ones that are... Um, Whatever issue we have, Father God, help us to see them with the value that they have. And then, Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus because all those things that, that we struggle with as we look at someone else that maybe we judge, Father God, we are those things. 
We are stinky. We are difficult. We are a mess. And yet you loved us enough to show us your grace and send your son to die for us. Humble us in that, Father. So that when we see others, we would see them as your image bearers and place the appropriate value on them. And Father, as we go and live in this amazing creation you've made for us, help us to use it in a way, Father God, that glorifies you. In your name.